Microsoft is buying Blizzard Entertainment for approximately 68 Instagrams. So games like Call of Duty, Candy Crush, and World of Warcraft, if World of Warcraft is still a thing, all fall under the jurisdiction of Master Chief. So that's a lot to digest. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week, Microsoft lost its damn mind and went and bought Blizzard Entertainment, which has a fairly massive library of titles that, regardless of who you are, you probably play. Or, I suppose I should say that you probably play them as long as you're not on a PlayStation in early 2023 or so. (gasps) Spoiler alert. There's a lot to unpack here, and if you've listened to this show for more than 20 minutes, you're probably going to know by now that... I'm not a gamer, nor do I know a heck of a lot about games. Fortunately, my guest today, Giovanni Colantonio, is a gaming editor over at Digital Trends, and he kind of knows his stuff, so we're going to chat with him about it. Plus, for Tech Yeah this week, we've got a nifty little Lenovo tablet that I've been using for some time now that's actually kind of worth buying. An Android tablet worth buying? Sounds like crazy talk to me, and it is, and we'll get to all of that. But first, we have to get to the news of the week. First up, I wanted to give you an update on the giveaway from last year. If you submitted an entry and were not notified that you won, that still might be okay because Cliff and I actually haven't gotten to picking the names yet. So sorry about that, but between vacation and Disney, I'm fairly busy and the two of us getting together takes some doing. Anyway, I should be drawing names this week, so I will let you know. Again, I apologize and I'll get to it. And I love you all. And yes, I still think you're pretty. Last year in August, the United Kingdom moved the United Arab Emirates to the Amber List, basically opening up the UEA to flights from the UK. To celebrate, Emirates, the airline, not the country, made an ad, and it showed a woman dressed as a flight attendant holding signs saying how they were happy and they felt like they were on top of the world, and... Wait a minute, she was on top of the Burj Khalifa, wasn't she? Yep, she was standing on top of the Burj Khalifa. And when I say top, I mean on top top, like the very tip top of the tallest antenna. And she was standing there, and that's a big bag of nope sauce for me. Eat your heart out, Tom Cruise. Well, this week, Emirates Air released another ad with the same woman doing the same thing, but adding in an airplane flying past her because that's not nerve-wracking. But in all seriousness, this is a pretty neat spot spectacle involving a drone, an airplane flying a lot lower and slower than it should, a helicopter, and a stunt performer slash skydiving instructor by the name of Nicole Smith Ludwig, standing in the tallest man-made place a person can stand. It's kind of crazy, but it's the kind of crazy that I really dig, so well played, Emirates Air. This week saw a rather historic legal filing as a driver who was using Tesla's autopilot feature is being charged with two counts of manslaughter following the 2019 crash of his Tesla into another car after autopilot failed to recognize a red light and it failed to recognize the Honda Civic that it slammed into, killing the two occupants of that vehicle. Now, this is a tragedy, regardless of how you look at this and regardless of which side you're on, and I stupidly feel the need to point out I am not rooting for Tesla to fail. 
but I am a staunch critic of Autopilot, the name Autopilot, and the promises that Tesla makes about Autopilot, while in the same breath telling people to forget everything they just said about Autopilot and keep your damn hands on the damn wheel. Here's the thing. Let's say you want to make a thing. So you make your thing, and then you decide you want to sell your thing. Now, before you do that, you have to imagine two things. First, you have to imagine what would the most evil person you can think of use that thing for? Is that acceptable to you? Okay, now on to the next bubble in this flowchart. Now, imagine what the stupidest person you can think of would do with your thing. Okay? Is that acceptable to you? Okay, now you can put that thing into production. Now, I'm not going to judge whether I think the driver in this case was evil or stupid, but guess what? They were one of them, and I'll let you decide which. Bottom line, Tesla, Autopilot is a bad product with a bad name that shouldn't be given to evil or stupid people. So just stop giving it to them already. Politicians are sick of people skipping over the terms of service because... No one reads them. No one reads them because they were written by lawyers on double espressos trying to come up with some billable hours at 4 a.m. in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So we all just say, screw it, how bad could it be, and click agree, which is, by the way, exactly what those lawyers know you'll do, and that's how they get their jollies, because, dude, have you ever been to Murfreesboro, Tennessee? And here's a fun fact. Originally in my script, I wrote this as Lynchburg, Tennessee, because I was totally making up a name off the top of my head, but then I said, wait a minute, Lynchburg. Burg means city, so I just made up a town called City of Lynching, and... That's not good, so let's get rid of that name. And no, I did not take the time to psychoanalyze my own subconscious for coming up with a name like that. So I pulled up a map of Tennessee looking for a town that's big enough for a law firm but isn't Nashville, Knoxville, or Chattanooga. And I came up with Murfreesboro, which is possibly a more stupid name than Lynchburg, but then I was looking at the map and... What the hell is that down on the southeast corner? Holy shit, it's a town called Lynchburg. And of course, the south has a town called Lynchburg. Jesus says Christ. What was I saying? Oh, right, terms of service. So lawmakers came up with the on-the-nose name of the TLDR Act, which basically says if companies want to throw BS terms of service up in between you and your downloading, cool. But they have to provide a summary statement that gives you the terms of service in a nutshell and also mentions whether or not the business in question has suffered a data breach. And I'm all for this act. This is good legislation here. If it passes, and that's always the question mark, isn't it? It seems to have bipartisan support, and why shouldn't it? Nobody likes terms of service, especially when companies hide crap in there that you wouldn't like. Isn't that right, Gas Buddy? Oh yeah, Gas Buddy, you thought I'd moved on from you because I hadn't mentioned you in a while, but guess what, Gas Buddy? I'm still watching you. Oh yeah, Gas Buddy. Still watching. This week, YouTube announced that it was shutting down its YouTube original studios and relying on the MKBHDs and the Mr. Mobiles and in some really, really stupid circumstances, the Jake Pauls of the world to drive traffic to their site. Kitten videos and kicks to the groin are also popular, by the way. So it turns out YouTube doesn't have to crank out original content to be popular. Who knew? Still, I enjoyed some of the projects that came out of there. Cobra Kai was originally a YouTube production, and I personally liked Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes on Television. That's about all I ever watch, and that's probably not an insignificant part of the reason YouTube Originals is shutting down. I mean, 
Not because I didn't watch them, but because, you know, generally few people did. I don't think this is necessarily a tragedy. It's basically just a TV studio shutting down, and I assume the people that work there will drift over into other TV and film jobs, such as the nature of that particular beast. As for YouTube, we'll have to keep relying on groin shots and PewDiePie, assuming he's still a thing. I'm being told he's still a thing. So yeah, PewDiePie, groin shots, and kitten videos. Now, of course, I cannot confirm that YouTube Originals is shutting down because I decided I didn't want to make videos anymore. But I also cannot confirm that YouTube Originals is not shutting down only because I decided not to make videos. You'll have to judge that for yourself. But I'm just saying, you've never seen Superman and Clark Kent together at the same time. If you're Apple, there's really only two kinds of new customers for you. Moms and dads who just gave their kid their old iPhone, and green bubbles being harassed into the ecosystem because, let's face it, if there's a more compelling reason to switch from Android to iOS, I don't know what it is. Apparently, the harassment and bullying is so severe that Apple doesn't really feel any additional motivation is required because it just slashed the trade-in values of most Android phones that it accepts as trade-ins for the almighty blue bubble. Currently, the most money you can make on an Android phone is $405 for a Samsung Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, and it's curious that there's no entry for the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra, presumably because Apple knows that no one in their right mind would trade one for an iPhone. Understandable. But this is Apple missing an opportunity here, an opportunity that Samsung is very, very much not missing. Because last year around this time, I traded my Pixel 4a, which at the time was selling for about 250 bucks on Swappa, for $800 off a Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra. Granted, this was with T-Mobile, and there was a kind of, sort of, contract involved, but Samsung basically gave me $800, plus another $200 in Samsung store credits, for a $350 phone. Why? Because Samsung really wants you to use its phones, and guess what? It worked on me! Not only did I buy a Galaxy S21 Ultra, but I also picked up a set of Galaxy Buds Pro and a Galaxy Watch 3. So yeah, I suddenly found myself mired in the Samsung ecosystem, and if I wasn't who I am, I probably would have stayed there. So what did we learn from all this? Apple really doesn't care if you switch over or not, because if you do, great. And if you don't, all your iPhone friends will harass you anyway, so why not just come over, huh? This week saw the rollout of Verizon's and kind of AT&T's mid-band 5G network that it bought the Spectrum for for about 1.2 blizzards, or roughly $81 billion last year. Well, this week they switched it on, mostly, and it turns out the aviation industry is causing all kinds of noise about this, saying that their altimeters and other landing systems use frequencies in neighboring bands, and they're all concerned that 5G will interfere with those bands. Foreign countries actually started suspending flights to New York, Atlanta, and Chicago, among other cities, because of this interference, and one of those was Japan, which will become important in a moment. The thing is, they're kind of right, but they're also kind of wrong. The way this works is that spectrum is divided into frequency ranges, and typically those ranges have buffers in between them. So if the tuning is a little off, it won't interfere with the neighbor. And in this case, the spectrum that Verizon and AT&T bought ranges up to 3.98 gigahertz, while airline equipment goes down to 4.2 gigahertz. But spectrum isn't really like building blocks. It tends to 
drift here and there. So if the 5G spectrum wanders up into the 4.1 gigahertz territory, while at the same time as an altimeter wanders down into that same frequency, well, things can get awfully real really fast. So the airlines are all like, you can't turn this on, and we've been telling you this for years. And the FCC is like, well, we've been studying this for years, and it's probably going to be okay. And the airlines are like, we're not so sure. And the FCC is like, well, what will make you sure? And the airlines are like, new altimeters. And the FCC is like, great, go get some. And the airlines are like, you buying? And the FCC is like, no. And the airlines are like, well, then things are too dangerous. And basically this all boils down to airlines want Verizon to buy them new altimeters. Now I can't prove that, but that's kind of what's happening. So right now the compromise is no 5G near airports, which is really not cool, but that's where we are. And you remember that Japan thing I mentioned before? Yeah, so Japan was one of the countries that halted flights to the US because of all this. But the thing is, Japan's 5G infrastructure uses the exact same frequencies as the US 5G, and there is zero interference at all. So that doesn't make sense. Meanwhile, airlines are waiting for customers to start complaining that their signal in the airport sucks enough for Verizon and AT&T to be like, fine, here's a billion dollars to go buy your new toys, and it's good to know that modern business behaves like the five-year-old model of holding my breath until I get it. People just never grow up. This week, the island country of Tonga had a massive volcanic eruption that, among other things, knocked out most communications and internet access to the island. Estimates say that it'll likely be a month or more to get the internet back up and running over there, so Elon Musk was all like, hey, we've got internet that works regardless of terrestrial cables. You want some? And at the moment, it's worth noting two things. First of all, this was a tweet because that's how Elon Musk conducts business. And two, this tweet was on the internet, which is something that the country of Tonga does not have. So that's like telling your friend, hey, I heard your phone got shut off and I kept calling you to ask if you wanted to borrow a cell phone, but you never answered. Say la vie. So yeah, Steve, not helpful. Anyway, it's unclear if Tongan officials have taken Elon up on this offer, and it's equally unclear if the air is clean enough to even get a signal from space. But even so, one really nice thing about Starlink that I never really thought of before is that it's kind of satellite-based. So even in the course of a natural disaster when communication is so important, Starlink is a non-terrestrial-based way of staying in touch, which is not a use case I originally thought of when I heard about Starlink. It's still not as good as cable-based internet, but what happens when an earthquake or a fire or volcano breaks your cable hook up to a satellite it's a good way to illustrate why starlink could turn into a vital service i don't really have a joke here it's just an interesting note this week i learned that social media companies are looking into installing paywalls great both Instagram and TikTok are looking into ways that creators can have paid subscribers for those extra pieces of content every now and then. And I'm not really sure how this works because I never plan on looking into it. But all the same, I just have to wonder if we're better off for this. I recall Twitter doing something like this a few years ago, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure if Twitter still does this or not. But getting people to sign up for extra content on a social media platform seems like even more of a headache. Like, it's bad enough that you have to plan out content for Instagram, and I'm Speaking as I would imagine an influencer would reason this out, not me, because again, I would never do this. But you have to plan out all your Instagram content, and then you need to add in a new layer of content beyond that for paid subscribers. 
It just seems like it would be maddening. Especially for TikTok, which can involve a lot of production and planning since it's video, not just still images. I mean, this is all great for creators. If they're popular enough to get people to sign up for a subscription, that's great. Probably not something I'll have to worry about, but if you happen to be on Instagram or TikTok and this is your jam, then more power to you. I won't be a subscriber, but good for you nonetheless. This is not an original joke by any means, but Jesus Christ, if companies put as much R&D into cancer as they put into hair remedies and boner pills for old white guys, we wouldn't have cancer anymore. Apparently, the latest target is lab-grown hair cells to reverse male pattern baldness. Basically, this is kind of like hair transplants, but in this case, other body cells are reprogrammed to be hair stem cells, and then they're planted back into your skull, and seriously, people, just why? And yes, I know this is coming from a dude with a magnificent mane of long brown hair, but still, one of my best friends is bald. Jeff Bezos is bald. Dr. Evil is bald. No, no, he's not real. And he's also evil, so... Anyway. But still, what I'm saying is, dudes, don't let your hair be the center of your existence. Take all the time and energy you put into your balding head, and instead spend it, I don't know, volunteering at a charity. I really don't have anything else to say here. I just felt like ranting a little bit, and it's my show, so I can do that. But now, the rant's over. And finally, this week saw the publication of a new paper suggesting that Pluto could once again be considered a planet. But then again, so could a lot of other celestial bodies in the sky, including our own moon. The paper suggests that the only reason we don't consider moons to be planets is because we're using the wrong criteria to describe them. Typically, we describe planets as bodies that have so much gravity that they're round, bodies that orbit the sun, and bodies that have cleared other bodies out of their orbit around the sun and if you look at that definition that means that we're using the sun to describe two out of the three elements that make a planet a planet a new paper suggests that not only should we weigh each celestial body on its own merits to determine whether or not it's a planet not its relationship to a star but also we used to class celestial bodies this way in fact from the 1500s all the way up to the early 20th century we called everything a planet our moon the moons of jupiter pluto and more they were all just planets and then for about 50 years Scientists just kind of forgot to look at things in our solar orbit, largely because we discovered other galaxies were out there and we started studying them. But then the space race kicked in between us and Russia, and suddenly we were interested in our own solar system again. But in the meantime, all those scientists in the early 20th century that called moons planets all retired, and we had a whole generation of scientists who grew up ignoring local stuff entirely. So then we got interested in it again, and there was no one around to tell us, hey, you see that moon up there? That's a planet. Overall, it's an interesting theory, and our official definition of a planet doesn't factor in things like rogue planets that do exist outside a solar system that just kind of wander through empty space. Personally, I'm pretty comfortable with there being eight planets in our solar system and a bunch of moons. So no, I'm not ready to tell our first graders that not only do you have nine planets to memorize, but all these other 125 things in our solar system that are planets now, you need to memorize them too. And just imagine the chaos at the science fair when suddenly every solar system model needs to have more balls on it than a traveling tennis team. Call me old school, but I'm good with eight. But what do you think? Benefit of a doubt slash contact and let me know. Backend application API bugs attachment DevOps backend frameworks backward component oriented natural language process software blue text editor bookmark Boolean web server. Welcome to 
Tech, ja. This week for Tech Yeah, we're looking at a Lenovo Tab P11 Plus tablet. Lenovo keeps the Android space alive, and we're thankful for it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some garbage tablets out there that will make you think that the Android tablet situation is even worse than it actually is. But this tablet slots in at a nice couple hundred dollars and gives you a great screen, decent processor, and loud speakers. And that's pretty much the most of the basics of what a tablet should cover. The thing is, Android tablets are basically content consumption devices, full stop. They're good for Netflix and Disney Plus and Prime Video, stuff like that. They're not really good for creating content, but more on that in a second. So in order for a tablet to be considered good, you need a great screen, loudspeakers, and the right dimensions. And this tablet checks all of those boxes. Starting with a screen, you get a 2K 11-inch TDDI IPS display, which looks really sharp and crisp and has good color reproduction and good viewing angles. It's not AMOLED, and that's okay, because it really doesn't have to be. On the inside, there's a MediaTek Helio G90T processor, which, if you'll recall, is the same as the blue gaming phone I tested out just over a year ago. The processor is good for most games, and despite the mere 4 gigabytes of RAM, I didn't run into many performance issues at all. It also has 128 gigabytes of internal storage, and it supports memory expansion via SD card, if that happens to be your jam. The battery life is mainly just okay. Lenovo advertises about 15 hours of streaming time, and I'd say that's a little bit on the generous side. I'd call this a one-day tablet of moderate use. If you forgot to plug it in at the end of a day, you can get about maybe halfway through the next day before things started to get really icky. Overall, that's not bad. It's not great either. The speakers on this tablet are loud and clear. This is honestly one of the loudest tablets I've used in a long time, and that's refreshing. Knowing that tablets are mainly meant for consumption, Lenovo did a smart thing by including loudspeakers on the tablet, but then they left off the headphone jack, so maybe this one's a push. The tablet runs Android 11, and frankly, if I know Lenovo, it will run Android 11 for the rest of its life. That's not just Lenovo, by the way. That's most Android tablet makers. They push out tablets, and then they forget they exist from a software standpoint. That's not terrible. And speaking of software, the tablet comes preloaded with Google's TV watching app, whose name I frankly never bothered to learn, but it's a similar interface that you get from the Chromecast with Google TV. It curates content from connected services and is generally a nice way to browse watching content. One part of this tablet that I did not get to try was the optional keyboard that you can buy. It's another $90 or so, and it gives you a kickstand and keyboard so that you can use this tablet as a pseudo laptop. It's a nice addition, and it could allow you to turn this tablet into a content maker. I honestly probably would have picked up the keyboard on my own, except Lenovo also sent me the Lenovo Duet 5, which will get its own separate review later on, and that kind of does the same thing. So while I can't speak for the keyboard pack, I can say that Lenovo keyboards are quite nice, and if you pick up this tablet and get a deal on the keyboard along with it, you should probably pull the trigger. Overall, this is a solid entry into the Android tablet space. Most will tell you that you shouldn't buy an Android tablet, and <laughs> they're not wrong. 
But if you have the urge, this tablet slides in it under the price of a base model iPad, plus it has the capability of adding on an inexpensive keyboard with a trackpad for not too much more. That's a pretty good value, so if you want a tablet but don't want iOS, this is a great option to consider. As always, there's a link to it in the show notes and at benefitofadow.com, and if you pick one up, I'll get a little cut and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. Our next guest on the podcast is here, frankly, because I know very little about our topic this week. (laughs) See, Microsoft decided to flip over the buffet table of gaming, and while it was at it, it nuked the locker room, too. Microsoft announced that it would acquire Activision, Candy Crush, Every Game You Care About, Blizzard, for the bargain price of $68 billion with a B dollars, and holy crap, the world turned upside down. And since he hasn't slept since all this happened, Giovanni Colantonio, gaming editor for Digital Trends, is here to break it all down for us. Giovanni! Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, and I love that description of what has happened because it really, uh, it really gets to the heart of it. It really is that big of a deal. Giovanni, you are the gaming editor for Digital Trends, right. and <laughs> what happened when you woke up on Tuesday? Uh, it, I love. I actually love how I found out about this. I woke up. I woke up at like eight thirty on Tuesday morning. Uh, which I believe was like half an hour after the news had broken. I think it dropped at like 8 a.m. sharp. Um, and I opened up, you know, it's like usually sometimes I'll lay in bed for like, you know, like a, a 20 minutes and just kind of catch up on social media or something, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and I somebody just tagged me on, you know, the teams, what we use for kind of like assignments and whatnot. And I was like, oh, somebody tagged me. Like, I wonder what happened. And it just said, Microsoft bought Blizzard. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and then, like, I've never, I've never gotten out of bed faster in my life in the morning. Like, usually, it's like I really need to wake up a little bit. I was like zero to sixty immediately at a computer. Like, what happened? Saw like you know, Microsoft's going to acquire Activision Blizzard, and like without hesitation, was like, "This is the biggest news that's ever happened in video games." Like, let's let's get to it. Um, and I think within like an hour or like hour and a half I had like a, a 1400 word explainer of what's going on like up on the you know up on the site so it was like a, one of the most hectic mornings I've experienced in gaming news short of like doing an E3 coverage um, it is uh, impossible to overstate how monumental uh, what happened is and and troubling and scary as well in some regards um, but but really yeah. just gigantic I mean, I, I, I'm a mobile guy, and 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 you know, I actually made this comment on the last last show of the last season. But I'm like, I didn't want to turn this into a phone podcast, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but no, like I would probably equate this to like waking up one day out of the blue, middle of June somewhere, and finding out that Disney bought Apple, yeah, and released and released a, a holographic interface for all future mobile communications because they're not going to make iPhones anymore. I mean, like, that's basically the equivalent yeah, of I, what's going on here. I had a friend, um, you know, I, I had posted an article, I wrote about it on Facebook, and they were, they were like, oh, yeah, I mean, this reminds me of when Marvel bought, or when uh, Disney bought Marvel. And I was like, no, this should remind you of when AOL and Time Warner merged. <laughs> like, like yeah. think think bigger. Like, this is, this is one of the <laughs> biggest things that, like, you know, company mergers that has happened um, in, in a very, very long time. 
Yeah, I mean, it, and, and and you know, as someone put it on, as someone put it on uh, on Twitter, uh, they bought uh, they bought Blizzard for sixty eight Instagrams. <laughs> I mean, this it's it's just like I mean, and and you know, and you think of it like Facebook and Instagram. That was yeah. a pretty big deal, it and was. that was one sixty eighth the price. Let me let me Microsoft. If if I may, let me put let me put the uh, staggering cost of this into perspective. Um, By all means, so. Uh, Microsoft's biggest acquisition of all time prior to this was when it bought LinkedIn for $26 billion. This is way, way more than that. And again, that is Microsoft as an entire tech giant's biggest acquisition before this. $26 billion. This one is close to $70 billion. The largest video game acquisition of all time in the history of the video game industry was actually set last week. Uh, we, at the time, we were so naive, um, and it was when uh, Take-Two, which is the publisher um, who owns Rockstar, who, who does the Grand Theft Auto series, they bought uh, Zynga, which is the publisher that does Farmville. If you remember Farmville, that company... Yeah, <laughs> that company they did, got, like, the Words with Friends and everything, They did right? Words that with Friends, yeah. They're, yeah. they're a mobile gaming giant um, that is kind of, like, past their heyday, but still gigantic, even, even despite that. Uh, that company... Yeah. Biggest acquisition of all time in gaming was bought for thirteen billion, roughly, uh, and this is seventy billion uh, rounded right. up. This is seventy. Yeah, it's like billion th- with a B. With a B. Yeah, we're we're talking five times past the biggest acquisition of all time in gaming. Um, and again, like that was last week that that was set. Prior to that, the biggest acquisition was like eight billion dollars. So this is a, a huge step up very suddenly. Yeah, and, and then the, I guess the question remains is, I mean, there's a lot of questions here, don't yeah, get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I'm debating where we should take this conversation next. Should it be, <laughs> is it worth it, or what exactly did Microsoft buy? I guess let's start with what did Microsoft buy exactly. Yeah, so uh, for, for people who don't know, uh, Activision Blizzard is a video game publisher that... Uh, has a bunch of development studios under it and publishes a, a whole bunch of games. Um, right. The things that you would know Activision Blizzard for, even if you do not game, is the big one. They own the Call of Duty series, which is right. the biggest money maker in video games, like bar none. It, it's it's an industry unto itself. It is you know bigger than Microsoft and Sony to some extent. Um, yeah, really, really big. Uh, but and, and let's be clear to yeah. my audience: I don't game. Yep. But I play Call of Duty Mobile. Right, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So um, that that puts things in perspective. Uh, uh, other <laughs> other some other things that they own um, that that you might be familiar with. Um, Blizzard, uh, you know, the Blizzard half of Activision Blizzard is responsible for World of Warcraft, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is also gigantic. Uh, you know, the other part of this as well is Activision Blizzard are also merged with King. King is a mobile gaming company that is most well known for Candy Crush. Uh, Candy Crush, which you probably also know uh, if right. you have any family member, you know, like they probably are playing Candy Crush. The way that I keep explaining this to people is like, you know, in terms of how far reaching this deal is, is like my mother plays Candy Crush, like obsessively. Like she has put more hours into Candy Crush more than I've put into any video game, you know, bar none. And like my mother will now be part of the same Xbox ecosystem that I'm part of once this deal goes through. Like that is how far-reaching this this is going to be. Yeah, and and I mean not only not only that. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I was trying to think of like maybe like a movie equivalent to this, and I keep coming back to like 
Disney buying Marvel. Like, yeah. Or yeah. not just that, like, it, it's almost like another company, another bigger company coming in and buying Disney. Yes. And suddenly having all the property rights for the Marvel franchise, Star Wars, Pixar. Like, I mean, and so Microsoft basically just made itself the Disney of gaming. So basically, though, they've kind of bought, or they intend to buy, and this is an important distinction, they intend to right. buy them. Right. The, the deal's not going to close until uh, next July? Probably next year. Yeah, yeah it, it, I think they've said like next July or something like that. <laughs> this right. is this is gaming news, so nothing actually happens now. Yes. It all happens a year and a half from now. Gotcha. Way, 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 way okay. far. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they essentially, when it closes, would be buying the sum of Western gaming. <laughs> you know, like that is that is how impactful this would be. Like, arguably, them acquiring King, Candy Crush's uh, studio, yeah. is almost a bigger deal because what that means, and, and this is kind of how it's going to impact people as a whole, is that means that Microsoft is really committed to bringing its games to mobile. We've already seen them doing this. We've already seen them using their cloud gaming service to bring you know, their biggest games to mobile. Um, this will ensure that they can bring games like Call of Duty to your phone, you know, uh, and not Call of Duty Mobile to your phone, but like Call of Duty Warzone to your phone, like the console ones. Um, that mm. is a big part of this deal, uh, is building out Microsoft's mobile gaming ecosystem a little bit more so that even if you don't have an Xbox and even if you don't have a really good PC, you can still get, like, access to Xbox games. You can still get Game Pass. It's all going to be on your phone that might be honestly the biggest drive behind this deal more than anything. So it actually stands up to the 1990s mission of Microsoft, a computer in every pocket running Microsoft software. 100%. Yeah, this is this is okay. very much in line with their philosophy. Um, they, they've already said, like, the goal of this is to bring Activision Blizzard games to all platforms, including mobile. Like, mobile is a huge mm -hmm. part of this. They understand that, and uh, and I think that's what you are going to see in, like, the immediate wake of it. Okay, so um, now I guess let's transition on over to was it worth it? Oh, that is such a big question. Um, you're going to get lots of different questions. Well, there's a lot of different answers, and there's a lot of different ways to approach this. Um, from Microsoft's perspective, absolutely. <laughs> like, okay. Absolutely, it is worth it to spend $70 billion on Activision Blizzard. Call of Duty will pay itself off alone. Call of Duty will really? absolutely pay okay. itself off alone. Uh, it is... It is a gigantic franchise, and the thing that you have to consider is Microsoft's strategy is very, very different than, say, Sony or Nintendo. Sony and Nintendo want to sell you their consoles. They want you to buy a PlayStation, they want you to buy a Nintendo Switch, and that's how they're going to make their money. Microsoft's ace in the hole is that it has Xbox Game Pass, and for people who don't know right. what that is, Xbox Game Pass is its subscription service equivalent to Netflix, where you subscribe for $15 a month, and you get access to a ton of games, a whole library, hundreds of games, um, with the cost of your subscription. You can download uh, a bunch of things, including new releases day and date. Halo Infinite, you didn't have to pay a penny for it, you got it for free. Forza Horizon 5, mm. didn't have to pay a penny, you got it for free. What's going to happen now is that the next Call of Duty game, you're not going to have to pay a penny, you're going to get it for yeah. free the day that it comes out, if if you have an Xbox Game Pass subscription, and more so, you will be forced to do that, because at some point, regardless of what Microsoft says, regardless of today, right before we started <laughs> recording, uh, Phil Spencer, the Xbox chief, said, oh no, we're going to keep, we're going to honor our contracts, we're going to continue bringing Call of Duty to PlayStation, hot air, they're going to 
Really? They are going to... This is all speculation, I should say. Like, nobody knows anything at this point. Enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. This is all speculation, I should say. Like, nobody knows anything at this point. But what you can expect is that Microsoft will honor pre-existing contracts. So if Sony, for example, had a deal with Activision that said you're going to get Call of Duty games through 2025 and then we're going to renegotiate, then we will see that carried out. As soon as all strings are cut, you probably will not see a single Activision Blizzard game on a Sony console. If you want to play Call of Duty, you will have to either A, uh, get an Xbox, or B, get an Xbox Game Pass subscription so you can play it on your phone or PC. Then Hmm. that's where the value is. The value is in them taking people who were buying Call of Duty and saying... Well, I'm just going to pay $15 a month to get Game Pass so I can play it. And then you're in their ecosystem, and then you're paying them every month instead of just buying one game a year. And that's sure. that's the value. Uh, for for figures, just, just to put this into context, um, yeah. Xbox Game Pass currently has 25 million subscribers. That's the most recent report. And that is up from 18 million last year. Uh, okay. And they are about to put the biggest franchise of all time on it. If that goes through, if this deal goes through and they announce the next Call of Duty game will be on Game Pass, that number is going to go up real, real high. Like, every gamer you know will have Game Pass, like, pretty much. You can buy it for PlayStation, so what we're thinking is maybe after those agreements are honored, then Microsoft will say, you want to play Call of Duty? Great, subscribe to this thing, put this app on your thing. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, I wouldn't be totally mad at microsoft for doing that like i mean that's just kind of like leveraging what you got you know yeah i and i don't think it's a bad idea i think the game pass app should just be on other consoles i think you know historically companies are very isolationist and they do not want to cross over and it's only been in recent years where they've started to play nice where it's been like oh mm-hmm. you can play a, you can play call of duty with xbox players and playstation players together um that's like a new concept uh what microsoft has done here is like especially aggressive in this era where companies are kind of working together. Um, And again, I I do see it as a play to try and like force some partnerships a little bit more and be like, you need us now. You need, Mm -hmm. you need game pass. You need Xbox or else like you are going to lose your billion dollar franchises that like help sell your consoles. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, 
uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but huh. that would be my prediction, is that instead of releasing physical copies of Call of Duty on PlayStation, they're probably going to try and get you to download the Xbox app, or the Game Pass app, on your consoles. And I don't think it's a bad idea. It just gets into the question, and this has been the topic on everyone's mind, is are they edging towards a monopoly <laughs> at that point, right? Like, if Microsoft yeah. buys more companies, because this isn't the first big company they've bought in recent years. Right. Last year, they bought Bethesda. Bethesda, the company that does Doom, Wolfenstein, uh, Skyrim, you know, like all of these huge, huge games. And that was like small fries compared to this. But like, <laughs> if they, if if Microsoft continues this trend and they buy Ubisoft, for example, right? Or they buy uh, uh, Sega, you know, God forbid. Um, <laughs> you're going to start to get into a territory where people start asking is is this fair? Like, is it too much right. for them to buy all of these giant companies that make games for every console and say, now they just make Xbox games? Right. Um, there's there's another thing we haven't touched on, and I think it is extremely important to the story, um, and it goes back to your question, and I should have said this earlier, about is this a good idea for Microsoft? Right. Um, which is that it's not just that they're acquiring this publisher that's a big deal. It's the timing of when they're doing it that makes it especially extremely significant. Um, it, Whatever do you mean, Giovanni? Oh, oh well, <laughs> here's a fun little here's a fun little piece of history for you. Um, for the past six or seven months, Activision Blizzard has been involved in a scandal, for lack of a better yeah. words. They're uh, back dating back to I believe June or July. There were reports that came out detailing. Uh, Activision Blizzard having a really, really dark history of basically having a toxic workplace environment. Um, the stories from it are pretty disturbing. Like, a lot of companies have right. this, like, really bad boys club mentality. Gaming has it especially bad at times, um, especially because early on it was just, like, it really was just, like, everything was targeted towards, like, young men and, and everything. Like, so it just mm -hmm. had this toxic culture. Um, and... The reports are pretty sickening, the things that they are accused of, um, you know, uh, sexual assault and, and things like that. Um, yeah. some, some really disturbing reports that, that I won't go into in detail here, but um, if, if you want to read about Appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can read. Um, you know, Bloomberg and, and places like Wall Street Journal um, have stuff detailing that, but it's, it's pretty dark. So, uh, that is to say, Microsoft is acquiring this company at a time where they are dealing with some really, really tough scandals. Um, and the fallout from that has been pretty intense. I mean, people are calling for their CEO to resign because their CEO mm -hmm. actively tried to hide the stuff that was happening from the board of directors um, and had some bad behavior of his own. Um, the staff at Activision Blizzard is currently trying to unionize, which is a first for the video game industry. The video game industry is not unionized in at all. Uh, and yeah. Activision Blizzard staff is trying to be the first studio to really do it um, in, in, like, North America, uh, like, as a big studio to do it. Yeah. Um, and so Microsoft is inheriting a scandal. Uh, They're inheriting people that they are going to have to fire, you know, like, people that they will have to get rid of or else, you know, they are going to be under heavy, heavy scrutiny. And they're also going to be inheriting essentially unionization efforts and the union behind it has already said that they're not giving up. They said, this doesn't change anything. We're still going to unionize, right. regardless of if it's Microsoft or not. Um, especially right. because they have a year and a half where, like, nothing's going to happen. So, like, 
you know, it makes sense to, for them to continue to fight for it. You know, I'm looking at a picture of this Bobby Kotick. Bobby Kotick, Kotick. there he is. Bobby Kotick. And he just has one of the most punchable faces I have ever seen. He, like, he looks like exactly man. what he's accused of. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I, we can we can actually start to kind of wrap things up here. I mean, even though again, like like you said before, we could talk about this for hours. And yeah, barely there's scratch so surface. many layers. <laughs> but uh, but one of your one of your one of your people over at Digital Trends, one of your writers, Jacob wrote uh, wrote a piece about what could potentially stop this deal from happening. Yeah. So can we kind of get the Reader's Digest version of that article. It'll it'll be linked in the show notes, of yep. course. But yeah, um, but uh, yeah, really, really, really good piece. I recommend reading it. Uh, Jacob Roach, uh, very, very thorough. Um, so the big thing that's going to come up here that could stop this deal is, hey, the FTC will probably get involved. Like they will right. probably, no matter what. Like we said, because there's so much money on the table. Say, hey, we need to make sure this isn't a monopoly situation. That there's no antitrust problems here. Um, Especially with this being a year and a half away, like, they will look into this. Um, there will probably be some, like, lawmakers who kind of are like, hey, wait a minute, like, this is weird. And it just comes down to whether or not they determine that it matters. Anyways, um, the thing that Jacob Roach points out in this article, and, and I think it is really important context for anybody who's thinking this is a done deal, you know, like, w w what could possibly happen? Um, <laughs> Jacob references... NVIDIA's uh, deal where they tried to acquire ARM, the chip maker, for $40 billion. Um, yeah. And basically what happened there, for people who don't know, is, like we've been saying, the FTC stepped in and said, hey, actually, no. <laughs> like, you can't just buy... You, NVIDIA, the, the, this big chip company, can't just buy another one of the biggest chip companies. Like, that's a total thing. And there's been, like, an ongoing investigation, or, or whatever you call it, into that. Um, and at the moment, that deal appears to be pretty much dead because of it. Um, we don't know mm. for sure. I don't think that that deal is, like, 100% dead, but it kind of seems like it probably is. So, you know, I think there is a precedent for deals this big and, and monumental to fail. And I think it's it's totally possible that that could happen here. Um, and what it ultimately will come down to, if it gets investigated, is just whether or not companies think that video games matter enough, right? If companies think that this is a big enough deal and what might shoot them in the foot, what might be like their Achilles heel in all of this is that mm -hmm. they were dumb enough in their announcement about this <laughs> to try to link the whole thing to the metaverse, quote-unquote. They were like, this is part of our big metaverse push. This is going to help us accelerate the metaverse. Activision Blizzard has nothing to do with the metaverse, right? Like, other than the fact that the metaverse is, like, a meaningless term at this point, and it could mean anything. Right. Like... Yes, Act one could argue that World of Warcraft is metaversey. You absolutely could, and it it it, yeah. it is. But like, Mike, but Activision Blizzard is not like a company where that is a priority of theirs. They're not Epic Games right. where they are using Fortnite to like make concerts and like have this whole like creative space. Activision Blizzard makes games, you know, like they they really right. do. Um, and so I do imagine that Microsoft is trying to push into that space, and I imagine that they will use. Uh, companies like King to help do that and help build out, mm -hmm. you know, their their digital space a little bit more. Um, but on paper, like, Activision Blizzard kind of has nothing to do with it. It's not like they bought Epic. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they dropped Metaverse as the name is going to be probably the thing that gets, 
lawmakers or whatever kind of like, well, what do you mean? Because now you're not talking about video games. <laughs> we heard Facebook say that. <laughs> Hang on a second. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And you know that that's like a buzzword and you know that that's like a we're taking over the internet and turning it into something different or, you know, whatever people think they're doing with it. Um, and that, I think, might be the thing that gets them into trouble. All right. Uh Again, we could talk for hours yeah. about this, but um, neither of us is on the clock right now. So I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> wrap things up here. Uh, this is the part where I go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you and uh, let you talk about where people can find you on the internet and you can pimp all your stuff and let everybody, let everybody know. I, I understand you have a uh, you have a podcast or two yourself. So by all means, yeah. by all means, share. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mario Prime. Uh, you can find my writing about video games on digitaltrends.com. And yes, you can listen to me talk about video games on the video game podcast, Left Trigger, Right Trigger. Um, it's a fun show. If you, if you like games. It is. Check it out. <laughs> All right, uh, Giovanni, thank you so much for uh, jumping on. And I know this is kind of a last-minute deal, too, so I appreciate you uh, making some time in your schedule. And um, thanks again for uh, coming by, and uh, hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thanks for having me. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Giovanni Colantonio for coming on and telling us all about gaming and Microsoft and Blizzard. It was a lot bigger than I thought it was. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. You can do that at ratethispodcast.com slash benefit. You can also write to the show by visiting benefitofadow.com slash contact. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>